This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest has experienced something that uh, we wouldn't want to wish on anybody in this world. My guest is Ed Schwartzman. Ed, welcome to Big Talk. Michael, it is an honor to be here. Just an absolute honor. Now, Ed is another one of those famous Big Talk Bloomington Institution people. He's an institution in the in this town. Ed owns Buffaloes and Gables Bagels. The sad thing is, is that back in 2007, October 15th of 2007, a young man by the name of Ben Schwartzman lost his life. Ben was Ed's son. Who was Ben Schwartzman? Well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a, a very, very poignant question. So my son, Ben, uh, born June 5th, 1988 in Long Beach, California. Um, he was born out of love between uh, myself and my wife, Debbie. Um, now that's your first wife. That's my first wife. Okay. And um, he was ra- we moved from Long Beach to back to Sherville, Indiana when Ben was three or four. So not a lot of Southern California uh, influence on him, more, much more of a Midwestern kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so raised, basically born in California, but raised in Sherville, Indiana. And as far as I could tell you, he had his normal and average a midwestern upbringing as one could be other than the fact that his father had this heavy new york accent um, but um because you you ed were born in new york city went correct. to high school you were a queens kid that's correct that's correct. yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a new yorker through and through but i love the midwest i love where i live now and uh ben was a beautiful boy and uh did all the things that other kids his age did up until the age 12 or 13 up until his bar mitzvah i would say this is your average boy who's Nothing outstanding, just a sweet, nice, funny, goofy boy who had a hopefully a sweet, goofy father. At the age 13, 14, he started showing an interest in music. Picked up an acoustic guitar. Correct. The kid could sing. He could just flat out sing. It was amazing. He could sing. He had this innate gift. And uh, he just started taking lessons. Um, he was never a great guitar player. He was much more of a... Cat Stevens, John Mayer, like acoustic yeah. guitar. He was not a strum uh, the chords. Exactly, he's not an Eric Clapton or a Rick Derringer, and you know shredding it. He was an acoustic guitar player. He did eventually bought him a, an electric guitar, which he played sparingly. I mean, he much preferred the acoustic, just to strum the chords, as you uh-huh. said. And he started writing his own music. I'd say by the age of fifteen. He started performing in coffee shops, and uh, I started taking him to open mics wherever I could. We used to go to Chicago all the time. I would take him everywhere I could because he loved performing. And So uh, you were very supportive oh, in this music oh, idea. Here. Oh, 100%. Well, first of all, you just want to see your kids be passionate about something, yeah. and he was passionate about music. He entertained me a lot. When I'm taking him to these open mics, I would just love sitting in the back and watching him perform because it just made me happy. And he was not a flashy performer. Uh, he would keep his head down when he performed. Most of the time, if he had his choice, he would play barefoot. And he liked wrapping the guitar cable around his toe. And he, <laughs> would, and he would look down. So, you know, he had his little little quirks like we all do. Uh, he, he grew uh, musically and grew. But So by the time he's 17, 18, he has probably recorded, I don't know, seven or eight songs already. And when I say recorded, 
Uh, it was a small private studio in Hobart, Indiana, and he would go in and um, he would record tracks. He was, ba- for the most part, uh, a one-man band where he would lay down the vocal and then he would play the acoustic and then he would go back in and harmonize. Oh. And all of this was just self-taught. Yeah, uh, he could read. Um, they call it tabature. Yes, but, but he could. I, he may have been able, may or may not have been able to read sheet music, but that's not how he rolled. He he would he would just do chords and tabature. But along the same time, so he's in high school. He starts struggling with depression. When you say he was struggling with depression, did you know about this, we, or was it hidden in the beginning? Of course, there's denial than acceptance. You know, when, when you when your kids, at least in our case. You know, first you just say, well, he's fine because you, you know him. You know him as a young kid. You know how, how sweet he is. He's going to be fine. And then you hope for the best. And then eventually you realize this is bigger than what, you know, in this case, me and Debbie could handle. And so he was getting help. He was going to a counselor. Um, I will tell you that, uh, you know, Debbie and I were having our own struggles and which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, the depression or the marital issues, don't know. Um, and, you know, not critical for this conversation. I'll never know the answer anyway. And so we, we were going to a counselor who was a lovely guy, and um, we would visit him once a month. Um, but Ben's drug use was, you know, you know, he smoked pot. He would drink underage drinking. His grades started going downhill. You know, it was this story, unfortunately, has been told so many times. But that does sound pretty normal. Yeah. Unf- yeah. yeah that's, the, that's the worst part. Yeah. And as parents, um, you know, we did our best to stop him from using drugs, but that's an uphill battle, as we all know, and hoping it's a fad and that we can get through it. And he was still had plenty of friends, and um, he just kept spir- he, he kept going downhill. Eventually, in 2007, uh, he dropped some acid with a friend, and that was really the, th- the thing that, um, the turning point where we couldn't come back from. And um, uh, as a result of that, we actually had to institutionalize him for a while. Because now it's, it's it's crazy how people are wired. His friend who dropped the acid, they both went out in the woods and you know thought you know thought they would experiment. And his friend, I think now is a is a lawyer and is doing very well in life. You know, a few hours later, his friend's back to you know home. And but Ben, the way he was wired, and Ben had a lot of allergy issues. He suffered from asthma. Um, I used to joke when he was a kid, he was allergic to the world because he was allergic to a lot of things. Yeah. And I also say ultimately he was allergic to life. So after the acid trip, um, he, I don't think he was ever the same. And so uh, eventually we had to institutionalize him for maybe a week or so. And um, and then he came out and um, he was slowly trying to, we were trying to get him back to being a functional uh, young man. And uh, um now all of a sudden all his friends are going away to college and he's not because, and at one point he was in an honors program and now he's getting B's and C's and maybe D's. And a lot of it is just self-inflicted wounds because, you know, this is a, a teenager and, um, you know, maybe it's always a struggle yeah, no matter what. Correct. And maybe we weren't the best parents. We did the best we could. And uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, And uh, we knew we were struggling again. And Debbie and I debated institutionalizing him again. But the reality is, you know, my thought was, you could put him in there. He might say, Dad, F you. I'm never going to be put in one of these places again. And he talked about suicide. Now, my son. You, oh, he said these these words. Well, I knew, we both, Debbie and I both knew that he had considered suicide, contemplated it. And um, we talked very openly about it. Yeah. And 
he knew what uh, you know. If if he would have taken that step, how that would have devastated all of us. And his sister had many conversations. In fact, and I'm jumping ahead here, but in the song that his sister wrote about the experience, uh, his sister Haley, your choice, the song that she wrote, she says in the song um, that you told me you'd never leave me because she knew also that he was talking about. Yeah. It. And uh, but the problem is when you when you got voices in your head, you know you you can run but you can't hide. People who are suicidal. You don't have to worry about them killing themselves every second. What you have to worry about is in those deep, dark, suicidal moments, we all have dark thoughts. Right. That, you know what? Get me out of here. This is too much pressure. I got too many bills. But then we realize that we got to fight. We got to keep going on because that's part of life is the struggle. So you have to worry about when people are suicidal is how they're going to respond in those deep, dark moments. Ironically, in the things you learn after the fact, he died October 15th, 2007. It was one of the most gorgeous, sunniest, beautiful fall days you could imagine. It was a Monday. What's interesting is more people die by suicide on a Monday than any day of the week because when people are going back to work and starting, you know, here we go again, well, when you got the weight of the world on your shoulders, you don't want to go, here we go again. Yes. You know, the funny thing also is, as a parent, you want your kids to be independent free thinkers and to stand for themselves and believe in what they believe in. You know, the old phrase, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend your right to say it. Well, with my son, there were many times during this journey that I wasn't thrilled with some of the songs he was writing. Because if you listen to some of his music, and I sure hope some of your listeners will, he wrote some dark stuff, but it's beautiful music. I say dark and painful, but anyone who listens, you know, comments how beautiful the music is. And a lot of his lyrics, I'd say, Ben, this music's scaring me. I don't like that stanza. I don't like that verse. Can you please change it? Because I knew what was on his mind. He would say, Dad. And he was not a belligerent guy. He was not big in stature. He was not a physical fighter. And But he would say to me in a soft-spoken but confident way, Dad, it's my song. And as a father... I mean, bravo to you, Ben. Way to stand up for yourself. That's right. You know, deep inside, I'm thinking, please change this lyric. But I can't argue with that. What a response. Dad, it's my song. Okay. Let's give a little information here. First off, the National Suicide Hotline. Simple. 988. If there's a crisis, if there's a problem, the National Suicide Hotline people are answering that phone. They're going to talk to you. 988. Now, BenSchwartzmanMusic.com. That's a little website that was set up by Ed and a bunch of people. And we're going to talk about how this music all came together and is now out in the world. You can also Google Ben Schwartzman Music, and immediately you'll get hits for Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all of those are uh, places where you can hear the album Falling Star. Ben Schwartzman's album Falling Star. Got some beautiful titles, but as Ed has just said, sometimes a little, maybe a little scary they were, well, especially heavy. for a dad. Heavy, yeah, yeah, heavy stuff. Here are some of the titles My Apology, Self Explanatory, Let Me Go, Big Man, Down This Road. Uh, freaking, I like that. This one, how about this one? Live Before You Die. And then there was uh, the song written by Haley, his sister, your daughter. Uh, Your Choice. 
Ed has been quoted as saying he left something beautiful for this world. And this music is beautiful music. Do you listen to it? Well, I got to tell you, I, I don't talk about Ben or the project as much as I know, as much as um, there, months could go by when I don't have conversations like this. And uh, A, just sitting here talking to you, Michael, is so cathartic for me. You have no idea. I am, I am so grateful for the moment just to share this, even, even if it's just you and I talking, yeah. let alone people hopefully listening in. But years went by, years went by when I couldn't listen. I could not listen to one note of his music because I, it would just cut me up and kill me and right. shred me and bring me to tears. And, you know, I, I guess I should preface this story by saying on the day he passed, um, and this is natural when people die, well, let's try to, particularly by suicide, particularly when they're 18 years old, how do we do something? How do we make this horrific uh, hand that we're dealt, how do we make something positive out of it? And so you'll see uh, things like uh, uh, charitable organizations, 501c3s, and different things where they try to make something positive out of it. Right. And so the thing that I kept focusing on is I've got these 11 songs. And about when Ben was alive, Everybody who knew him, and this is when American Idol was a was a really yeah, a big yeah. deal. It just started two thousand five, two thousand six, and all my friends were like you got to get this kid on American Idol, <laughs> and I knew how fragile he was, and I said, listen, I do not debate you for a second that he's not that he could not win that show because he's that talented. Although he wasn't that kind of singer, he was not a you know stand on, on like the stage. a showman, correct? That, yeah. But in terms of his talent and his voice, one hundred percent. And what's sad is my goal with Ben, because he talked about suicide, I had done research, the, su- the odds of suicide for, for a, a, an individual go down dramatically at age 25. Huh. And so I talked to Ben about it. I said, Ben, listen, my goal as a dad is to get you to age 25. When you turn 25, you and I will go to Vegas. We'll do any stupid crap you want to <laughs> do. And I made up all these crazy stories about what we would do just to get you. To, and that's not a real noble goal for a father to get their sons to 25. But that was my goal for Ben. And unfortunately, we didn't make it. But the point is, since he died, I said, all right, I got to do something positive with this beautiful asset he left me, his music. And I have been searching not necessarily in vain, but I've been searching and, and I've been on this journey and I've, I have sent emails and I've, I've sent CDs and I, I've had all kinds of incredible stories using his music as this vehicle, but I've never wanted to make a penny using his music. In other words, if any money is made, and I hope it could possibly, I've always had a vision that maybe we could make some money with it, that every dollar would go to a suicide prevention organization, whether it's National Suicide Prevention or any other. Um, and then, uh, and if there's any artists that are involved in the project, they would make the money. I don't want to make one single penny from it. I just believe in the music. And what's interesting, in all the years that I have been uh, talking to people about it and they, they take the time to listen to some of his songs, when they get back to me, almost every one of them says, Ed, I got to tell you, when you told me the story, I'm thinking, all right, it's a very sad story, but, you know, it's probably just a kid playing music. And then they hear the music, and they're like, wow, there's something there. Yeah, yeah. There is something there. And the more I, I would get feedback like that, the more I'd say to myself, keep going, keep going, don't give up. And so, and that, that's been kind of my mantra, is just to keep going. I've, I've had some crazy stories. I don't know if you want me to share some of my interactions with people that I've had regarding his music, but I've had a lot of them. 
let's look at this uh, one cut called Let Me Go. This is from the album Falling Star. And folks, if you want to hear it, please do go to benschwartzmanmusic.com or go to Spotify, Apple Music, or Amazon Music. You can download that whole album, the Falling Star album, and one of the tracks is Let Me Go. Here's a lyric from it, Ed. People are dying just to live. I am living just to die. Yeah, well, that, it, it's, it, it's really amazing, Michael. You've done your homework. That was one of the lines that I specifically said to him, Ben. And if you do listen to that song, uh, the chorus, he says, let me go. He says the chorus, I think, three times or sings the chorus three times. The first two times he sings the chorus, he says, let me go back to sleep. He ends the song with just let me go. Yeah. And that was the song that I said, that was the one that really scared me the most. Yeah. Um, and uh, that that actually was uh, the song that we played at his funeral because that's, that. He's singing from the heart. Um, I used to compare my son's music to open heart surgery. He would perform in coffee shops. I'd say, Ben, you got to lighten it up. It's very heavy for your audience. I mean, we all understand teen angst. We've all been there. But you got to lighten it up. You know, you got to give them something they could give me a sweet Caroline or something that they could (laughs) sing along to. Dad. My, my music, music right. yeah. And he, even the cover songs he would do, he would do "Yesterday" by the Beatles. Um, he did a version of um, "Can't You See" by the Marshall Tucker Band. And what was funny about that song, I never understood why, because it's more of like a country rock song. But in the in the song, he says, there's, "They mentioned suicide. Going to go to a mountain, the highest mountain, jump off. Nobody going to know." Right. Another song that he absolutely owned on stage was "Creep" by uh, Radiohead. You know, that's a very powerful, painful song. And he, was, he wasn't just singing it, he owned it. This is how he felt about himself. And the irony is, he was so loved and so popular, had a girlfriend, he was a good athlete. I mean, to me, he was the total package. Granted, yeah. I was his father, and I was, but I was biased. But, like, you would, you would gladly trade, but yet when, when, you, when you're in that situation and your brain is telling you you're a failure, you know, you're no good, you can't get away from that. It doesn't matter. My guest this week is Ed Schwartzman. He's the owner of Buffaloes and Gables Bales. He's the father of the late singer-songwriter Ben Schwartzman. And uh, once again, National Suicide Hotline, 988, benschwartzmanmusic.com. Go there, listen to some of these, some of this music. And if you if you happen to buy any of the cuts or the entire album, which is Falling Star, the proceeds go, uh, one of the places the proceeds have gone to is Centerstone. Correct. Boy, you have done your homework. And give it a shot. This kid was something else. And I, I wish I could have known this guy. Oh, thank you. Thank but you. now I know his daddy-o, and uh, that's pretty good, too. We, we sort of have bonded here uh, Amen. in this studio. Made a friend. One day, you woke up in the morning. And you weren't thinking about Ben. Yeah, that's correct. That was part of your healing process. What's crazy, um, uh, there's a gentleman here in town. So in the bagel shop, there's a gentleman comes in and he lost his son maybe six months ago. And, and, you know, when you go through something like this as part of the grieving process, you go from all these different stages, grieving, acceptance. Yeah. uh, Denial, grieving, acceptance. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Correct, correct. Well, and then you become 
the consultant or the uh, mentor for people who would then join your friggin' club, which is the club of adults who have uh, parents who buried their kids. Who like, wants to be in that nobody. club? Nobody. Yeah. I wish I was the last one. Yeah. And so there's a gentleman here in the community who lost his son about six months ago. And he came in into the bagel shop the other day. And um, I never ask how you doing because I know how you doing is a really bad question. Because when, and when I lost Ben, people would say, how you doing, Ed? And my thought was, how the heck do you think I'm doing? I just buried my son. And so, you know, I, I say, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And he says, yeah. I'm, you know, then he opens up because he knows about my situation. And then I said to him, I said, a day will come. And I remember when it happened to me that I went 24 hours without thinking about Ben. And it took a long time to do. And I said, the day that it happened, I woke up the next day and I said, holy cow, I didn't think about my son once yesterday. What a terrible father I am. Yeah. And so that, you blamed yourself for that even. But then... I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is as it should be. He would not want me to be miserable and thinking about him every second. He would want my life to go on. He would yeah. want me to smile and, and enjoy and be happy. And so, you know, I said to my friend who was lost his son six months ago, you're not going to believe this. You're going to get to a day. I can't tell you when, when you don't even think about him for 24 hours. You're going to kick yourself in the shorts and then you're going to go, you know what? This is normal. This is good. This is what I should do. Exactly. And so there are days go by, I don't think of my son, and that's okay. Speaking of suicide, young Ben Schwartzman, a teenager, hangs himself. He's your son. Did you start thinking after that about suicide? I did, uh, without question. But um, what I really wanted, I was just hoping I would die accidentally. At that point, I mean, the thought of suicide, I still had a daughter. I was still married. I had, my parents were both here and it would have killed, you know, I just know, I know it's not the right thing to do. Yes, I thought about it. Um, I, when I would drive down a highway or like a, a road where there was no divider, I'd say, wow, if this 18 wheeler just two, three feet away, if he would just veer into me or if I veered into him and made it look like an accident, but then I would think, well, wait a minute, this guy's or gal driving that truck, he's right. got a family etc. Um, but yes, I mean, I never came close to doing anything, but yes, it, I, I used to pray for a meteor to fall out of the sky. Right. Something, you know, uh, that just, I couldn't control that took me, you know, to put me out of my pain because the pain, you know, obviously just putting one foot in front of another for a long time was very difficult. In the fall of 2021, good old John Armstrong, who has been a guest on this program in the past. At the time, he was with Pegasus Pictures. Uh, he's with Constellation now. Uh, that's the new outfit uh, that includes several other arts organizations. Uh, he came into your place with some news. Because I've always had this music in my back pocket, and I'm always thinking, how can I do something productive with it? Anytime I meet anyone in the music industry or uh, entertainment, anybody that I think might having that that might have a potential connection for Ben's music, I'm going to figure out a way, if possible, to say, can I send you something? And nine times out of 10, they don't get back to me. Well, John Armstrong walked into Buffalooie's, my restaurant, maybe in 2019, 2018, and introduced himself to me and said, we're filming a movie which turned out to be The Good Catholic. And he said, would you feed my staff in exchange? I will put your name of your restaurant on the credits 
I, of course, said yes and, uh, you know, instantly said yes. He didn't know why I was so eager to say yes. But now I deliver the lunch for like 30 people at the studio that they, they had built in the south side here of Bloomington. And after I dropped it off, I said, do you have a minute? I want to share something with you. And, of course, he said yes. He's a lovely guy. And I said, listen, I've got this music. I told him the story. And I said, if you could ever use it, uh, you know, feel free. I own all the rights. And um, he said, I'll give it a listen. And he got back to me, said, Ed, the music's amazing. I can't see how I could use it for this movie, but I'll keep it in my pocket. And if I could ever use it, I'll let you know. And years go by, nothing. And every once in a while, he would stop in the restaurant, say hello, but nothing. And then uh, one day, uh, I get a knock on the door. I'm downstairs in the office. We have a little office in the basement. And uh, somebody says, somebody's here to see you. And I I might have been in the middle of something. And of course, I'm not looking to run up the stairs at that second. And they said, who is it? John Armstrong, okay. And he has a gift for you. And I said, okay. And I kind of rolled my eyes. And my wife's like, what are you being such an idiot for? <laughs> go upstairs. And I was going to go up, but, yeah. you know, okay. So I go. And a lot of times I'd get things, people drop off stuff at the store that meant homework for me. Like, hey, I got a great picture of Bobby Knight. You could put it on the wall or whatever. Yeah, you got to frame like, it. Right. Yeah. It's still lovely, but it means homework for me. Yeah. So I go up the stairs. He said, Ed, four or five years ago, you, you gave me Ben's music. And I'll never forget the quote. He said, it's been on my heart ever since. And I so and he goes, unbeknownst to you, Ed, um, there's a music studio here in Nashville, Indiana, called Hundredth uh, Hill. It's run by a gentleman named David Weber and Krista Detour. Right. And um, he said, they have been remixing Ben's music. And they're done remixing it, remastering. And I'd like you to take a ride out with me next week to go listen to his music. Wow. Uh, exactly. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we took a ride out there the next week. I brought food because my mom said, you know, you go always bring food. I brought bagels. <laughs> I brought chicken wings. And um, uh, there's a band there called the Highlanders that were recording at the time. And so we all ate. And then uh, we went into the studio and David played a couple of the tracks for me. And I would tell stories about some of the songs before I would, he would cue up the song. I hugged, we cried, and I left. Well, about a week later, one of the young men who was in the band, Zach Riddle, calls me up. He says, Ed, um, you might not remember me. I was one of the four guys in the Highlanders or maybe five guys. And um, I was really moved by your story. Really moved. And I was really moved by Ben's music. He says, "That you're right. That kid was so talented. And he says, um, I want to help you. I said, okay. He says, I want, to get, I want you to help get a website. I want to get you on Spotify. He goes, I even think I can get you on NPR. Okay. And so um, I come to find out that he is one of the press secretaries for one of our state U.S. senators here in Indiana. He's a rock and roller who's also a pre- who needs a right. day job, and he's a press secretary. So he knows how to work the media. This is a total stranger, much like John Armstrong. Yeah. And by the way, David Weber spent hours in the studio working on the music. Total stranger. Krista right. Dieter, his wife, kept bugging him to do it. I found out later. Total strangers. Go to benschwartzmanmusic.com. Let me spell that for you, folks, just in case. Schwartzman, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N, benschwartzmanmusic.com. The album is Falling Star. Ben's father, Ed Schwartzman, has been our guest this week here on Big Talk. The National Suicide Hotline is, once again, 988, very simple. If you're in crisis, uh, punch those in. Uh, Ed, thanks for being on Big Talk. Michael, what an absolute pleasure. 
Absolute pleasure. 